לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamit, coming to you from Jaffa, Jaffa Hotel in Israel. And I'm normally the rabbi of the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation, Anshay Amen. And joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Salman Shaykh, the Day School, Long Island, and Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, Anshay Chesler, New York City. Hey, we have a baby. We have a baby. She is not named yet. Her name in the House of Israel is not known, but here she is for all of our viewers. Look at this. Look at this. Here she is. This gorgeous, gorgeous creature. She was born on Sunday, May 28th. She shares a birthday with her aunt Mayan and with one of our colleagues here, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky of the Ansheikh Hesed. What a what a mazel dika day! This is amazing. It's pure joy. We are so so grateful and happy. Baby was seven pounds two ounces. She's what's that? What's that in kilograms? Three point two three kilograms. Three point two three kilograms. She is an absolute delight. A little button. She fits right there in the little, little, tiny little thing, and in. I don't know how many years I'm going to show her this uh, video of the first <laughs> the first Parsha talk after her birth, where we were all quelling, and it's just uh, it's just so so we're, they've been talking about what what am, what are they going to call me? And here here's a great segue into our Parsha. Okay, so I don't know if I should be Saba or Zaidi. You know, everybody makes fun of me that I you know, why have, not Elliot? Well, you know, it doesn't work. I need a title, so. <clears throat> I have a kind of old world, you know, character. We all know that. Everybody who watches and listens to us knows that <clears throat> I'm a little I'm a little bit old fashioned, but I'm also new. So I said I should be Zaidi Saba. Zaidi Saba. And that way I honor my own father, who was a Zaidi, and I honor my children who are living in Israel. And I'm Hebrew. Now, of course, you know, I've, I'm inclined in the Hebrew direction. <coughs> I don't speak Yiddish at all, but I have a sentimentality. So Zeri Saba has a certain ring to it, and it is the transitional figure. I'm thinking of myself as, the, you know, I'm not the end of the Yiddish era. I kind of am, actually, <coughs> the beginning of the, the Hebraic era. Well, it's so well said, Elliot, because the end of the Yiddish era is when no one speaks Yiddish anymore. There you go. So so nobody in my family is going to speak Yiddish as a as a first language and um that I know of or I think of. or even a second by the way. Exactly. But people English and Hebrew in my family and and many of us who have a certain degree of fluency not perfect fluency in Hebrew are Hebraic. <laughs> and anyway, not so. 
Get yourself a drink of water. So it reminds one of the story by Aaron Mega, Yad Vashem. Yeah. Where the Israeli couple have to name their newborn son, and the father wants to name him for his father, Mendel. And he's willing to compromise on Menachem. And I think they name him after a flower or something, you know, which was the, the fashion in the 50s in Israel. But anyway. Anyway, so the Parsha begins with uh, a discussion. It, we're, we're in the middle of a discussion of, of what the roles of the Levites are. We had something pertaining to the family of Kat and their census and some the things that they do. The Parsha starts with Gershon, and it will include also Merari. So we, we have to remember that the Levites are divided into three basic family clusters, Gershon, I'm sorry, Kahat, Gershon, and Merari. And according to what we read at the end of last week and what we're reading at the beginning here of Naso, is that each of the families has a particular domain within the sanctuary structure. The Kahat, they have to carry the sacred objects, like the Aron, like the Menorah, like the Shulchan, like the Mizbeach, etc. The Gershonites, they carry the coverings, and they are responsible for all of the, the skin and all the cloth coverings of the Mishkan. And the Merarites, <coughs> they're responsible for the beams and the really the heavy lifting. And so I, I read this uh, piece by uh, Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, the Corona very, of course, important you know, figure in contemporary Judaism, who wrote focusing on Gershon and saying that, you know, having this role, they're not Kahatites and they're not Merarites. The Kahat is the most important and the Merarites are the least important. So being in the middle presents its own set of challenges. And he's talked about, you know, a, a middle manager always wants to be a, a, a manager and, a, a you know, always kind of holds himself above the lower echelon. And, you know, they're, they're, you know it's Rabbi Stein's also, you know, you can't be too critical of it. But, but I was thinking, look, you know, all of the different families need each other and all the roles are needed. Take it away, Barry. <laughs> so... I, I think we were talking before the show that the Levites operate as a team. And on a team, everyone is needed. Even when there are stars, every player has a role, and that role is critical to the su success of the team. And here with the Levites is the same way. But I was struck while you were talking um, that it's kind of curious that the camp is divided into four for the directions of the compass, and the Levites are only three. And I think Itamar, the fourth son of Aaron, is linked with them in some way, if I remember correctly. Because you really need four four sides to protect the Mishkan, the Ohamawaid, to correspond to the four sides of the Israelite camp. Yeah, well, maybe there are only three families there. So I, I, th I think there are three families. That's all. Yeah, I there think are three families, but Itamar is given a role, which I found odd, because he's a Kohen and not really reckoned with the Levites. Interesting, interesting. You but know, it, it's interesting that we we happen to be having this conversation at a at a high time for sports. Um, 
you know, just uh, just last night or two nights ago was the was the Eastern Conference Finals. Tremendous series between Miami Heat and Boston Celtics. Miami won three up, three zero. First three games, Boston was like counted out for dead, left for dead. They came back, they won three to force the game seven, and Miami blew them out in the seventh game. And one of the interesting things about Miami, first of all, they have a amazing superstar. They have another like just below him. Uh, two guys just below him, one of whom was out injured, but they had a lot of role players. And these role players, including like five or six of their very best players, most most productive players in this series, were not even drafted. They were undrafted players. And they totally came through. Boston has more superstars. And Boston is also more of a well-balanced team than just a superstar-driven team. But Miami, all these guys, they were totally Mirari. Those guys were Mirari. And they came through in in an exceptional fashion. I I would push it back against you, Elliot. You uh, you 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 said, and I agree with this that everybody's indispensable. You know, if 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 the if B'nai Kehat carry all the fancy stuff, and and the Gershuni do not carry the cloths, or the Mirari do not carry the beams and the bones, you've got, you got no, no Mishkan. You got no Mishkan. No, I'm just reminded of this. Of uh, the the last Mishnah in Tractate Menachot, fabulous, fabulous, uh, uh, fabulous Mishnah uh, re- t- uh, teaching. This also appears elsewhere in the Talmud, but it reverberates through. Ola with uh, offering an Ola, a very high, very high status sacrifice of a of a cow. The phrase the Bible uses the phrase Isha Reach a gift of pleasing odor. And if you offer a bird, which is a much less estimable, it's the same thing, Isha Reach If you offer grain, it says Isha Reach And it teaches you, Achad Hamarbe, Achad Hamamit, Ubilvad Shiachaven Adamet Atola Shamayim. Whether you give much, whether you give little, just, just, it's all the same, just as long as you direct your heart. I'd like to imagine. That some guys play offensive line, and some guys, you know, are quarterbacks, and some guys, you know, carry carry the iron, and some guys carry the beams. But that they're at, what I would like to have is a sense of great teamwork that everybody's doing their part. I, I so think this brings us back to the mafter for Shabbat Shkalim, which is about another census where that language also appears about the rich and the poor each having their role. They each have to give give the same chetzi shekel and. In a census, everyone counts the same because we're counting people. And in daily life, we often lose sight of the fact that there is an equality amongst us, and woe to us when we fail to recognize it. Right. They're all, you know, I wanted to say that they are co-equal, but maybe that's not not a, a, a precise enough term. It's the, the Mishkan has to happen as a team. And, and while the different families are, you know, entrusted with, Specific articles for the for the portage uh, porterage of the Mishkan, um, you know, you you may think that the kahat the kahatites are more important, but yeah, they're they're indispensable without the Gershonites and the Merarites, and like three pillars and and three you know uh, uh, legs on a tripod, you know that they can't be sustained. And and in a sense, you know, back to this whole Safta Abba, Abba, you know, Zaidi Saba kind of thing, you know, the middle, the middle, the middle element has a certain function. So Gershon has a function that's a kind of bridge between the upper and the lower, fine. You know, and and so I, you know, I appreciate Yitzchak and Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, even though you know he gets the the least amount of verses, let's just say. 
but he's the pivotal figure. He's the transitional figure, and he's holding everything together. And and you could argue, you know, that okay, each family is um, configured in a different way. But if you have multiple children in family, the oldest has a certain status, the youngest has a status, and the middle child is always problematic. So here, the three of us. So Jeremy is an oldest. I'm a youngest. And Barry, of course, is the most problematic of the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, I actually want to ask you something about this. First of all, you are Yitzhak, right? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, just at, at, I, I also had a birthday, 57. And 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 mom, just, you know, thinking about it, as, as I age, as our generations go on, I had a kid get married this year and you had a grandchild this year and and we we each have four kids, and we've tried to raise them up to to be Jewish and love Judaism. And, and there is a kind of an inexorable like way in which, as we get older, we recognize we we represent tradition, Zaidi Saba. And like, how does it feel? Okay, you have an Israeli granddaughter, and maybe she'll stay growing up in Israel. Maybe she'll return to the Gola. Who knows? But um, I don't know. Do you feel what what do you, what is your feeling about your role? Being a Yisrael Saba, like the, the phrase Yisrael Saba in Jewish parlance is like the age-old tradition. And so, I don't know, just what, what does it feel like? Um, do, do you feel like a, a, an avatar of the past in some respects vis-a-vis this grandchild? You know, I do in some ways. I feel I feel very much, you know, connected to all the generations before me. I, you know, the, the overwhelming feeling that, that I had the day that she was born was that, you know, here... here I, I am, you know, in some ways, the representative of, of several generations. I, I have direct living memory of my grandparents, okay? And they're no longer with us. They okay. reside in a perfect and beautiful Eden, okay? In the, in, in the perfect world, so we say. And, and you know, uh, I have photographic evidence of great-grandparents. So, in a way, I feel, you know, all of us at the moment of... The transition of generations are kind of holding on the to to generations before, and what gets funneled to a child in a new generation is all the past, except for the fact that the child is very much part of a new generation. Her own parents are going to be our transitional figures. They're in between. They're differentiated. They're olim. They they are born in a you know born in the, in the United States and Canada, and you know, live in Israel and, you know, God bless them. Their lives are, are there. Their lives could be anywhere, you know, as, as it unfolds, of course, but, but it's there and they're making their life here. And that in some ways, I mean, in the, in this grand scheme of Jewish history, it's phenomenal. I, I, I get very emotional about the fact that here I have a generation of my family that is returned and that, is planting itself in the land of Israel, and where do you go with that? That's just phenomenal. I mean, it's your it's, mother didn't come, did she? My mother did not come. She, as soon as the baby was born, she's going to watch this. She said, "I want to get on a plane. I want to get." It said, "You're not getting on a plane. It's okay." Well, we'll, we'll get I, hope she, I hope she gets a chance to. to... She will. She will definitely get a chance. They'll, they'll come and visit. The point is that that you know it's awesome. It's awesome on so many levels. You know, and and. On the very personal, on the, you know, in the in this in the in the scope of Jewish history, you know, as funneled in through through one little child and, to and return, yeah. To return to the partial on it a yes. little bit for one sec, it's um, 
uh, you know, Bamidbar is is also all about transitionality, right? I mean, Bamidbar is is a transitional generation. We we haven't yet read the story about the the spies who get, you know, uh, the, the spies who fail to take the land and then they get punished for forty years in the desert. Uh, and their generation is going to have to die out. So at this point here in Exodus chapter, or Numbers chapter four or five or whatever, whatever chapter we're on, uh, we don't yet know this, but the image of the of the Levite clans carrying, assembling, disassembling, traveling, is is also quite like the 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 the, the quality of that being in motion. Um, and you, you're not standing still. You are between Egypt and the Promised Land. The tabernacle is not the Beit Hamikdash. It's not permanent. It's it's uh, up and down, uh, but whatever. I just think that that also uh, rings out with the transition. These are these are all images of transition. I mean, the temporariness of of the Mishkan, you know, stands as a as a great symbol of of transition to the more permanent stage. Um, and and uh, of course, you know, all the roles that the, the different. Partners play in in putting it together and assembling and disassembling and are are critical to that. Let, you know, let's let's you know transition ourselves to a different part of this parsha. Uh, you know, goes through talks about um, you know let's talk the the, the sota the the uh, the individuals the the woman who suspected adulteress the nazir the person who dedicates himself herself. Uh, with the time that we have remaining, we'll talk about. The priestly blessing, which is in there, of course, we have a whole large set of of text on on the gifts of the nesim. But I want to ask a question about Birkat Kohanim, if I may, and and it may be a simple question, but the question is, why does the Birkat Kohanim work? God bless you and keep you, etc. And you know, say this with a certain kind of emotional. Still, that, that this is the blessing that you know is going to be first invoked on a new child this coming Friday night. You know, my my son and daughter in law are going to we're going to have dinner together and they're going to bless their child for the first time. And and you know, just thinking about that, and I think about you know, think about we all have experienced this moment when we ourselves first blessed our children with these blessings. The first Shabbat they came home, right. I have very, very strong memories of you know placing my hands on a little tiny forehead, a little tiny head, you know, and saying Yerecha, and feeling you know so emotional about it, so beautiful. This is just the most beautiful thing. Why does this blessing work, Barry Chesler? So I think that one thing that certainly distinguishes this blessing from other blessings that we encounter in the Torah and elsewhere in the Tanakh is that this is a generic blessing in the best sense of the, in the of the meaning of the word generic, is that it is fit for any occasion. There are two principal themes. One is that God should watch over us, and that reflects our need and desire to uh, pursue or relate to God. And the second thing is the invocation of peace, which I think is the most deep-seated wish of all human beings. And that is maybe what distinguishes human beings from other animals is that we have a desire and a need for peace that we can articulate. Uh, so the uh, the influence of that that point that you have just made, with, with which I completely agree, uh, is very characteristic in Jewish 
literature, Jewish liturgy, prayer literature, literature. So the uh, the brachot, you know, for example, first of all, Kaddish ends with a prayer for shalom, uh, and and the the uh, in the evening, for example, the brachot of Kriyat Shema is two blessings before Shema, three paragraphs of Shema, two blessings, and it's you know Ufosalan Sukat Shalomecha, and the Amida of course ends with with Sim Shalom. Which is a reference to this, lecha shalom, that, that God should place upon you peace. And then the, the way we say it is that the the priests, Visamu Israel, and they should place my name on the children of Israel, uh, and I will come and bless them. The act of being a praying person is summed up in I invoke peace upon you. I pray peace for you. It's transitive, it's not. It's not a prayer so much for one's own self. It is a prayer of beneficence that I pray that God take care of you. I wish you peace. And to me, that is just a very, very uh, vivid expression of what Jewish prayer liturgy is all about. And having, um, you know, like almost all conservative souls, Anche Hasso doesn't do Birkata Kohanim. When I'm in Israel, I do it every chance I can get. I really, of, of course, you know, I... Of course, I understand why a, a generally egalitarian approach to Judaism should have a little second thoughts before thinking that, that you know, I, by dint of the legend of my family's ancestry, am, am better suited than you guys to, to place the bracha on people. That said, when I do Birkata Kohanim in a synagogue in Israel, I totally feel, I completely feel I am a conduit for, for sending God's blessings to other people. And to me, that's just a super duper high, uh, joyful, spiritual connection moment, uh, feeling between, like feeling a little bit, you know, we don't we don't talk about this in Judaism, but a little bit of an intermediary, or at least a tzinor, a, li a little bit of a channel for brachat of the world. You know, I th I think it's 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 a great blessing because it's so simple, and and often the most profound things are, you know, encoded in the simplest language. It's, Three words, five words, seven words. Okay, sixty, and 60 letters in all. Six, sixty exactly letters in all. Letters. It's it's you know you can count the syllables. It 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 kind of rolls in the way that that a, a text ought to, ought to do it. It's memorable. It's memorizable. It's easy. It's accessible. You know, it it, it originates with Kohanim uh, invoking this, uh, but it becomes the generic blessing for all of Israel. Um, I think you know we we, I, we don't have the 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 ur moment where this finally happened, but at you know at some moment somebody said you know what I'm going to take this blessing and give it to my children or I'm going to take this blessing and I'm going to apply it to to wherever you know we we stand and officiate at, at um, um, weddings you know we invoke the blessing at, at weddings you know many many rabbis invoke the blessing for uh, b'nai mitzvah etc you know there, there's not a, a, a I mean and, and and by the way in Christianity they they invoke this place it's it's a fairly generic blessing and it works um and I, I want I would throw in here I'd throw in here a couple a couple of additional things which uh not busting on anybody more than is absolutely necessary, but the, the when you write poems, especially liturgical poems, especially poems that partake of the depth of the Bible, 
um, and especially poems that you expect to be read out loud, they they have to sing. They have to uh, have have cadence. Now, biblical poetry doesn't really have meter in the same way that later poetry does. Um, if you if you just find yourself next time you're reciting a Hallel, you'll note that the land the lines don't really scan in the same way that we're accustomed to in a lot of poems. Um, that's, that's, where does that come from? It doesn't fit the patterns at all. But but you'll just notice that that good poems in Psalms 2 and in the Bible 2, but this one is a, just a great example. It's got a beat. It's got rhythm. It's you 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 can't just write sort of blank verse and think that it can be liturgy or gruesome. Three words. Five words. Seven words. It has great rhythm. And uh, I, I just throw in a word for the great American uh, Jewish bard, Shabtai Sissel Ben Abraham, also known as uh, Robert Zimmerman. May God bless and keep you always. May your wishes all come true. That's forever young. It's just Dylan know how to write poetry, too. So, so is he writing commentary on that? Would you call that, you know, a, a kind of commentary on that? Or, or is any time that anybody makes a blessing, is that a kind of commentary using, invoking that word? May God bless you and keep you. May the Lord be. You know? Yes, it depends what we actually think the blessing is. So, when you were talking, Yali, you mentioned the wedding and the Shabbat ritual of blessing our kids with this blessing, and. One can look at both of those as a way of taking a temple ritual and bringing it into the home. I agree with you. The wedding is creating a new bayat, a bayat naman, of course, we hope, in Israel, a faithful a faithful house. And I think that in a way that what runs through this blessing is this idea that we are supposed to be in one of the versions of the promise to the Jewish people, a mamlachat koanim, a kingdom of priests. And it gives everyone, priest, Levite, Israelite, a chance to perform a priestly function in one's own life. And that's by administering this blessing to one's children or in the presence of a, a newly married couple. And I think that that runs like or surges actually like a river running through our history and it provides a powerful connection to our past and of course we hope god willing our future as well yeah i, I think about that you know uh, i think american our, our listeners and viewers who are into american pop culture will of course know that that a jewish guy named leonard nimoy adapted the the hand posture of the Birkata Kohanim for the Vulcan, you know, live long and prosper thing. And I, I just would observe that um, maybe, maybe the reason we are who we are, the three of us have chosen, you know, chose the jobs that we've chosen, chose the, the life paths, career paths we've chosen, is that we believe in ritual. We believe that life is endowed, life, you know, our individual lives are endowed with real depth real meaning they get they get heavy they get significant in a good way uh because we participate in rituals and i think that you know obviously classic reform judaism in the 19th early 20th century like that was their thing that they were against they were against ritual they thought it was empty they thought it was performative they didn't take it seriously and then they came around mostly and, and now appreciated i think much more 
And, and I totally believe in that. I believe that there are gestures that, that you know, whether it's a hand gesture, uh, verbal gestures, dance gestures, I believe that that those things, that they turn life into poetry. And this is, this Birkat HaKonim, you know, it's it's said back in Parshat Shmini that Aaron raises his hands and blesses the people, which clearly does refer to something like this. Raising your hands in biblical parlance is a prayer phrase. Um this is like the almost, not exactly, but almost the only liturgy in the Chumash itself. I expect you to say these things and they will convey, uh, they will convey blessing and they will affect the people who do them and the people who receive them. That's liturgy, that's poetry, that's ritual, and that's just awesome. I don't know how I could live without ritual. I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't be a Quaker. I mean, like just sit around and talk. Obviously, we've got lots of talking in Judaism, but. It's the rituals that give it. Oh, give it a, the rituals uh, ground us, and the rituals, you know, obviously convey to th- to us things that are ineffable and, and can't be condensed in anything other but, but symbols. I, I, you know, I was I, I, I was struck by something you said, Barry, in terms of the home, and of course, you know, I, I love the idea that we're all, you know, mamlechet koanim. You know, and I, I have an interpretation of the korban pesach. You know, each one of us becomes a kind of kohen as we slaughter, you know, at least in the biblical rendition of of uh, the Passover feast, the head of the household, you know, has a kohanic role. Um, but I'm struck by the idea of bait, and, and considering that, you know, there's a certain intimacy about the blessing, you know, and placing hands over, over someone. Of course, you know, when you stand up in front of a congregation, you're not actually touching someone, but you know, in some rituals, and I do this, and it's kind of awkward. You know, when when and we in my show we do Birkat Kohanim, so when my kids are present, I I hold the, I I put the talis around everybody, and you know we're always usually kibitzing and and laughing, and it's really fun, and and Nama is pinching me, and Mayan is you know giggling, and and all the time I'm trying to be so serious and so serious, you know, and the blessing is coming. Can you not? Can you just sit stand still for a second, you know, kind of thing, and. And it's a big, it's a big joke, but it's not a big joke. It's a serious thing, and there's a certain joy in that intimacy because we're all together as a family, and and we're all under a talit, and that's you know one one ritual involved with that. And think about it, you know, I mentioned the you know it, it's the intimacy of parent to child on Friday night, and it's in the Bet Knesset, it's the Bet Hamikdash. And then, of course, you know, in contemporary Judaism, these large, massive gatherings at the Kotel um, with thousands and thousands of people for Birkat Kohanim during Sukkot or during Pesach, Cholamoy, you know, you see these big things. And and it's not so intimate. It's, it's you know, an open space, you know. So you have the bracha in a closed space and maybe the bracha in an open space. And then maybe the, the metaphorical meaning is, you know, from the smallest space of the intimacy of your household, to the largest space, which is the courtyard of the temple, which really is a stand-in for the world. Let God's blessings fill the world. And so, in invoking God and the blessings in this generic formula, we really have a moment of of going from, you know, the most small to the the largest expanse of the universe. I don't know how you react to that. You know. It's very well well said. yeah. What I would add that the power of ritual is that ritual properly done expresses meaning when and where words often fail us. Indeed. And yeah. you know, many of us, I think, even still 
buy cards from Hallmark at special occasions for loved ones because it's often difficult to find our own words to express what we say. Many of us have favorite songs that we like to listen to or sing when we're in certain moods. And these are ways of finding ritual to express what's in our heart because the words can't always be there when we want them to be. And so the rituals are, as Jeremy so well said, very important to the way that we see ourselves in the world and the way that we live our lives. I would I would just add to that also one thing that goes a little bit against the American, the tenor of American life. Like I've had many times, you know, people ask me some variety of the question, like, well, why should I say these ancient words? Like, wouldn't it be better if we all just made up our own prayers? And I think there's a lot of reasons why the answer is no, it wouldn't actually be better. Um, one of the main ones is that it, it worsens the, the American tendency for, you know, just radical individualism that, that really does diminish community. We can't really pray together unless we share a prayer book. Um, so I do think that's one reason why it's bad. But another reason why that sort of approach is bad, another reason why the received approach is good, is not, is, 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 it, it is true that the words will sometimes fail us, and it's true that most of us are, in fact, not great poets, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moshe Rabbeinu and David Amela, they actually were, and needless to say, Halevi and Gabirol and Ibn Ezra and, and those, and Shmuel Anagid, who, like, actually were poets, but um, these words just bear more than the, they, they just, they bear the, the infinite depth of the ages. <laughs> people have been saying them. The, people have been saying them for years and years and years. The words themselves have, a, have acquired extra meaning. Like extra meaning has sunk into the words. And and so when we say them, uh, we are not only saying, this is how I feel at this particular minute. We are saying, this is how I participate in this culture and all of the depth that is, is 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 you know, in the in the ocean of meaning, but you know, beneath the aquifers of meaning beneath. Look, and and yet, you know, I, I, we would all validate anybody's effort to express themselves in ever our way, you know, as as a way as 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 just you know to pray. I mean, you know, we're we're all going to use some of our own language in prayer, um, and and go with that, you know. But but there, what you're saying, I guess, is that. There is a tremendous value to having a canonical text. And look, you know, I, I would add maybe as a footnote to that, you know, there's always ways to interpret. There's always ways to add your your name. You know, it, it, the, the verse you quoted in this, in, in the, in the, that comes right after Berkat Kohanim, Basamu Shemi, place my name. So, you know, we have the configuration of the, of the hands, etc. But it's God's name that's woven through the, the blessing. So, you know, to to the worshippers looking for their own individuality in the prayer, you know, put your own name in there. And I've talked about this before in a previous one. I said one of the most fascinating exercises in terms of interpreting a text is just you know, Breshit Elliot, Barayel. You know, think about it. Think of You know, here here a child. You know, this 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 baby is going to get her name on Sunday, and so. You know, we don't know the name. We don't know the, the public name. It's going to be, you know, my kids know their name, the, the name of. And so you put your name in something and all of a sudden it, it, it comes alive personally to you. And you can weave your name into every prayer that we have. Every psalm can, can add, you know, in its kind of little 
dotted line, you know, put your own name in there and it'll speak very, very loudly to you, I think. And, uh, you know, hearing not only you want to hear God's name, you want to hear like, may God bless you, Barry Chester, may God bless you, Jeremy Kalmanowski, Elliot Malamut, you know, and all the listeners, may God bless them all, may God bless us all, you know, put your name in that and, and you know, all of a sudden you're kindled, you're, you're, Something is conveyed to you, some power, some light, some energy comes to you. It becomes something that's alive, which is what we are. When we read the Torah together, we study together. Whoa, that makes the day. That makes the day. And I, I want to commend you for yes. staying up until one in the morning. In yeah, the that's right. It's one in the morning here in the holy city of Jaffa, <laughs> overlooking the Mediterranean. Where I want to say a good shot. Go down to the go down to the go down to that great bakery right around the corner from where you are and get Got one it. of those pitas. Unbelievable. It's just amazing. It's amazing to be here. It's amazing to be with you guys. This miracle of Zoom enables us to do this wherever we are in the entire world. And it enables us to be with our very devoted listeners and people who are watching us, for whom we are so grateful. Thank you for spending this time with us. Wishing you a good Shabbos. Now, in the diaspora, it's Naso, but in Israel, it's Baha'u'llah. Okay, so I'm a week ahead, but I'm 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 going to be preparing Baha'u'llah for next week. Uh, I'm still still be here, so we're going to still broadcast from. I'll be in Jerusalem next week. In the meantime, I want to say Shabbat Shalom, and next week I'll tell you the name of this child. Shabbat Shalom. I will tell everybody in the Malamut family to Yaakov and Gavi and to the player who shall be named later.